So I'll add that this summer, over the next month and a half, I'll be preaching on parables, just parables. So um, won't follow really the lectionary calendar, um, but so this week is this parable, and I've pulled some parables that I've never preached on before. <laughs> like, I've never heard a sermon on this one. This one, of course, we have. In a couple weeks, we'll do the prodigal son, which will be a dramatic interpretation that will include our own Darren Longy, so we're excited about that. So, But today, the parable of the sower. Back in 2005, a miracle happened in a lab in Israel, and a tiny pot full of dirt, a seed sprouted. This was just not any seed. This was the seed of a particular variety of the date palm tree, which had been extinct for centuries. This particular seed was uncovered by archaeologists in the 1960s who were digging near the Dead Sea, a site where Jewish troops held out against Roman legions nearly 2,000 years ago. The seed was discarded then, perhaps as waste from someone's lunch, and it lay there, buried under the dust of the ages, until it was dug up in the 60s and sent to a lab in Jerusalem where it sat until 2005. When on a hunch, someone decided to plant the seed just to see what would happen. And a few weeks later, a tiny green shoot pushed up through the soil And now the long, extinct date palm plant stands over 10 feet high. And there's more. Wait for it. It's a dad. (laughs) They actually cross-pollinated it with another date palm tree thing. And it's a dad, and it's bare fruit. I just thought that was really cool because it's Father's Day. It's by far the oldest seed ever sprouted, beating a Chinese lotus seed by 800 years. No one expected that this seed held life within it. The assumption of everyone involved was that the seed was dead, long dead. It would never be useful for its intended purpose. There was no hope. And yet, there is a 10-foot, 13-year-old date palm reproducing the next generation. The gospel reading for today, Jesus tells a parable about seeds. A man went out to sow some seeds and He said to the crowd that was assembled on the beach that some seeds that the man sowed fell on the path, and some on rocky ground, and some among thorns, and some among good soil. Three quarters of the seeds failed, eaten by birds, 
died from the heat or choked off by the plants. But the seed that fell on the good soil grew and produced grain, and the sower was able to reap the harvest. There's a story about a preacher who gave a long and eloquent sermon on this parable, saying what the four kinds of soil represented and who the sower was and explaining the meaning of the parable. And after the service, the preacher was approached by an old farmer. That was a good sermon, the farmer said. But there's something I've never been able to understand. Who in their right mind would go around sowing seeds on the path? And what kind of farmer would plant in rocky soil? And who has ever heard about planting a garden in a thorn thicket? He went on saying, that Jesus might have been the Messiah, but he sure wasn't a farmer. The farmer noticed something that probably all of us noticed. This was not a very discriminate sower of seeds. Who of us is that careless with our own garden? Which of us deciding to plant a garden in the backyard simply opens the back door and just throws handfuls of tomato seeds and, and bean seeds? Like, who, no one does that. Not if we expect anything to come of it. The sower of this parable doesn't seem to really know what they're doing. Back when I lived in North Carolina, I had my own garden. I planted tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and all the things that one plants in their garden. I even started a compost pile so I could take the scraps from my kitchen and the yard waste and compost it. One fall, after carving some pumpkins, I tossed all that gooey stuff that comes from the middle of pumpkins out with the compost pile. And the next spring, assuming that the compost pile had done what the compost pile is supposed to do, I take the compost and I spread it all over my garden. And something curious happened a few weeks later. All over my garden, wherever I had spread this new compost, tiny plants, which I had not planted, started to spring up. And they were everywhere. And as the plants got bigger and bigger, and the first enormous orange blossom formed at the end of the vine, I realized what had happened. Instead of breaking down into compost, the seed from the past fall's pumpkins had survived the winter, and I had spread them all over my garden. I had thrown those seeds away, tossed them aside as the byproduct of some other project that I was done with. As far as I was concerned, their lives as seeds were over, and they would simply break down and be food for my garden. I hadn't made any effort to make their lives easier, unlike my other seeds, which I carefully planted in little seedling cups and kept them inside where it was warm and gave them special light before I transplanted them outside. 
not the pumpkins. They had been dumped out into the cold, exposed to the frost, and forgotten about. And they sprouted anyway. I learned from those pumpkin seeds that hope and life and new birth can be found in the most unexpected places. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, you never know when hope might find a way to break through. The Salvadorian priest Oscar Romero knew something about hope in a hopeless world. He was archbishop in a place torn by civil war, racked by crime and conflict, and made miserable by the daily hardships brought on by violence. He had every reason to look at the destruction around him and the atrocities being committed every day and say, this place will never be whole again. There will never be peace here. These people are doomed. God has left this place. But Romero didn't say that. He didn't believe that God had abandoned the people. He didn't believe in a God who recoils in the face of injustice. He didn't say that God had forsaken the people of El Salvador. Instead, he said this. This is what we are about. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for God's grace to enter and do the rest. And we may never see the end result, he said. But that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Archbishop Romero knew the meaning of that parable that Jesus told about the sower and the four kinds of soil, that we are not called to judge the soil. We are not called to decide where the love of God should be shown, where it might best take root, where it's most deserved. We are called to be workers in the vineyard, not actuaries in the kingdom of God, calculating where our work might be best received. We are called only to two things, to plant and to hope. We are prophets 
of a future not our own, Romero said. Ours is not to judge. We just plant and trust that God will do the rest. There's a tendency to see ourselves as the good soil in this parable. After all, here we are, sitting in church, taking the time from our week to study and worship and be in community with other believers. Those other people, the ones that aren't here this morning, or those who reject the church or are too lazy to come or who just don't care, those other people must be the rocky soil or the thorn thicket or the path where birds eat the seeds. But we here in this place, we must be that good soil that Jesus is talking about. I don't know who we're fooling because I'm not really so sure about that. I mean, I'm here at church this morning like I am most Sundays, but I don't always feel like I'm the good soil. I don't always feel like any old seed God decides to sow in me grows into a strong, healthy plant. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you feel like the rocky soil where the roots can find no depth and the heat of the day withers away whatever God has planted. Or you feel like the path where God sows something only to have it snatched away by the birds of jealousy or fear or pride or selfishness. Or maybe you feel like the thicket of thorns where God sows seeds that sprout and grow only to be choked off by the realities of the world. Very rarely do I feel like the good fertile soil just waiting for God to send something my way. On our best days, we feel like that receptive, healthy soil in the parable, but on our worst days, we're the rocky, thorn-ridden soil where the pressures and tragedies and details of everyday life come and steal away the good things from God before they even ever have a chance to give root. I don't think Jesus was describing different kinds of people in this parable. I think Jesus was describing the different attitudes that one person can have toward God. And we can respond to God in different ways depending on what life has thrown in our way. And we should all aspire to be receptive to God, the parable says. We should all aspire to that every day, but some days we won't be able to. Remember the question that that farmer asked the preacher? What kind of farmer just walks around throwing seeds wherever they might land? What kind of sower of seeds, sower sows seeds in the thorns on a path or in rocky soil and in good soil, all in one pass? If the parable is a story about God, then you could ask the same question. What kind of God is this? And there are two possible answers. Either we have an extraordinarily careless God, 
a God who doesn't particularly care about us or our circumstances or our struggles or who at least doesn't notice. Or we have an extraordinarily gracious God, a God who is an extravagant giver and who radiates love no matter what the circumstances. I think we have a God who loves us to the point of wastefulness, sowing seeds of hope and grace, even if there is little chance that they will survive. This is a wasteful love, a love which does not keep account of rates of failure and success, a love which is not concerned with return on investment. God loves us extravagantly. God showers us with love whether we deserve it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not. And more often than not, we don't accept it. More often than not, the seeds of God has so generously thrown into our lives will wither and die or are stolen away or choked off by one thing or another. But sometimes, Sometimes those seeds take root. And those are the moments that God waits for. A thousand wasted seeds don't diminish the joy God has at one that sprouts. God doesn't remember the thousand. God rejoices over the one. We are the rocky soil we are the path where birds can come and steal. We are the thorn thicket. And we are the good soil. But God is the sower. And God will not withhold grace and love from us just because we seem like an unlikely place for seeds to sprout. The love of our God is immense, extravagant beyond our understanding, even wasteful in its bounty. Let us strive to be the good soil whenever we can be, and when we can't, to know that God is God anyway and will continue to sow seeds of grace in our lives. We are children of a loving God. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.